Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Owen Broadhead, and you're listening to another one of Tap to Greater Oleans podcasts. Today we've got longtime professor Dr. Rick Simpson from St. Bonaventure University, and though we could probably talk all day about English department stuff, we're actually here to talk about music today because he has produced an amazing album with the Striker Slagle Band Expanded called Roots, and we've got him on the line today to talk about it. How's it going, Dr. Simpson? It's going fine. I want, I'm delighted to be with you today. This is great. Me as well. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, the first question I've got for you might be a loaded one, but how did this project land in your hands? <laughs> uh, I, I'll try to be brief about this. Uh, the uh, Long term, I got started uh, with jazz when I was about 10 years old. My dad had some records, and I loved the sound of them. And then when I was 11, I got really hit but good by a Benny Goodman recording called Sing, Sing, Sing. So I've been in love with jazz ever since. It hit me like a tidal wave, and I started playing in my brother's band when I was 12. He was two years older. Started making money playing and have remained interested in jazz passionately as a player and as a listener ever since, even though my vocational directions went in the direction of teaching English at the college level. Um, then, uh, in the very recent past, uh, almost exactly a year ago, some events happened, and I'll, I'll leave the specifics off the table, but some events happened that allowed me to have some funding that I could work with to produce jazz albums. And I had already done one that came out in 2010 with Tom Rizzo, in L.A., the wonderful guitarist Tom Rizzo, uh, who's an old friend of mine. We, still, we met at Bonaventure in a band in the early 1970s. Tom's gone on to a brilliant career in L.A., and we put together an album across the 2000s that came out in 2010 called Imaginary Numbers on Origin Records. And I thought that was going to be it. I thought that would be the only uh, project of this kind that I would have any kind of ability to fund. Uh, and then things changed radically about a year ago, and uh, I began thinking about this and got some strong encouragement to think about it from some dear friends of mine uh, who said, you know, you did the one project, why don't you think about doing others? And that turned a light on in my head that had not been there before, and before too long went by, uh, about a month went by, and now we were in late July of 2015, and suddenly it hit me that I wanted to do this with Dave Stryker and Steve Slagle, whose music I had loved for years a lot. I mean, really, really thought that these were two of the great players on the planet. And not only that they were great players, but that they were players that that, that fit my ears exactly, if you know what I mean. I mean, they, were, they, they fit my tastes very precisely. I'd known Steve's playing, Steve Slagle, since the late 1970s, I'd, and I'd caught up with Dave Stryker in the mid-2000s, uh, like 2007. And uh, so I sent an email to Dave on July 23rd of 2015 and said, look, I have the following funding available. Would you be interested in taking the quartet format that you guys have used in the past and called the Steve, the, the, the Stryker Slagle Band? And would you be interested in adding three or four horns and a keyboard? And I thought maybe I'd never hear back from Dave Stryker. Twenty minutes later, I got an email back that said, yeah, we do want to do this. And so it's gone, it's gone from there. Yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
Um, did your experience from producing Tom Rizzo's imaginary numbers help you with Roots at all? And how are the experiences similar or different? Oh, that's a great question. That's a wonderful question. The answer is allowed yes to begin with. Um, because this was now something I had been through, and there were a lot of twists and turns in the Rizzo project. And they gave me some experience that you can only get by walking down the road. I mean, you can't, you can't get the experience by watching the road on TV. You get the experience by walking the path. And that's what the Rizzo album gave me. But the bottom line was that I knew I could do it. Uh, and that if, I, that if I asked the right players, um, then the process would almost take care of itself. And whereas Tom had only done one project that didn't really come fully to fruition, Dave Stryker has 25 albums under his own name. Steve Slagle has 10 or so. And both had been sidemen on a, a multitude of other albums. And that's exactly what happened. It took seven and a half years to get the project with Tom Rizzo done. It took five and a half months to get the project with Stryker and Slagle done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so, um, so, so, so the the real experience, I guess, Owen, to 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 extend the answer a little bit, the experience that I had was partly that I knew how to get out of the way, you know, that I knew I knew where I had to intervene and I knew where I had to get out of the way, and it turned out that my main job with Stryker and Slagle was to write checks, and that's exactly what an executive producer is supposed to do. I did have a little bit of input about the music and the musicians, but I, that's at the level of about one-half of one percent. I mean, Dave and Steve took over the project, came up with the concept of the project, and then executed it just, in my opinion, just superbly. Um, got great players in every chair. Steve wrote the uh, brilliant arrangements that are on the album, the orchestrations, and Dave and Steve split the composing each one did four compositions, and then they they used a uh, one of the most beautiful of Charlie Mingus's ballads, Charles Mingus's ballads, to um, fill out the album. And my 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 confidence going in in their experience proved out exactly at the level of 100%. They did a superb job of the musical production side of things, and all I had to do was write checks. You know. That's great. Well, that perfectly brings me to my next question. Um, what was it like for you to watch them take your, adopt your vision and run with it? Well, it was, uh, I mean, pick your, pick your phrase here. It was a great thrill. It was a great joy to me. Um, I've loved jazz since I was a boy, and I knew how good these players were and that if they did the kind of work they were capable of. I mean, if they, you know, if they if they wanted to do this record for themselves and for me. And by the way, one of the things, you know, we had a half hour meeting between sets at a club in New Jersey and in, in New Brunswick uh, the the day after I emailed Dave and Steve. And one of the things I said to them as I was introducing, I, well, I said two things. I said, first of all, my checks won't bounce. <laughs> and the second thing I said to them was, if you guys have fun, I'm going to have fun. And what I was trying to, the message I was trying to send to them with that simple little phrase, if you guys have fun, I'll have fun, was I love your music. And if you guys are playing at the top of your game, you're going to thrill me for the rest of my life so deeply that I won't even know how to talk about it. And that's exactly what happened. You know. 
sounds magical. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's the idea behind the name of the album Roots? That was theirs. Um, uh, in that first half hour, amazingly enough, I mean, they had only known my name 24 hours, basically, when I showed up at this club. It's a Japanese restaurant in downtown New Brunswick, like two or three miles from the Rutgers campus. Um, and we're sitting at a table, the three of us, a small table, having this preliminary conversation and they had already worked out this idea that they could organize the album around a concept i mean they first of all they had the general idea that the album could be organized around a concept and then they had already started to talk about the possibility that they could associate songs with various places that they had lived and so i mean one day in you know, 24, 26 hours into the project, they were already talking about organizing it around the uh, the concept of, of places where they lived, and that worked out. I mean, uh, uh, Steve was born out in Los Angeles, and that that connected beautifully with my own experience because my parents were both born in L.A., and I grew up on the West Coast, and, and so Steve was born out there and then came east. Dave was born in Omaha and then came east, and both guys toured widely, worldwide, really, with great band leaders. It's a long, complex history of that, of that work with other band leaders. And so they, they thought that they could work out something uh, that was based on these geographical uh, locations. And I, I think it was only another day or two, uh, Dave uh, Dave sent me an excited email and he said, you know, I, I'm just remembering that Steve and I started, we really met each other at a place called the Lickety Split Lounge in Harlem. And he said, I could call a tune the Lickety Split Lounge. And I'm saying to myself, oh boy, here we go. You know, here we go. What a great title for a tune. And and it turns out to be one of the great tunes on the album. It's the last track they did. And, you know, you, you try to throw a great track at the opening and a great track at the closing, and Lickety Split Lounge is the last track on the album. But then there were, there were there's a beautiful tune called Great Plains on the album that Dave wrote about his sense of the Midwest right. and the, the great flatlands, the prairie lands of the Midwest. Um, and there are, you know, there are tunes that involve their experience in Brooklyn. They both had a lot of experience in Brooklyn when they first came to New York City, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, another Steve wrote two different tunes about L.A. on the album and uh, with titles that are related to L.A. and and so forth. You know, so. So, yeah, it, it, they, that, that concept of a geographical connection, the roots, R.O.U.T.E.S. is the title of the album. Um, but they also were, of course, were, uh, were, were, were very deeply conscious of the pun on R-O-O-T-S. And so they, um, they built these tunes uh, around that concept. And I think, I think it works great. I think it's really a, a lovely part of the album that they were thinking in terms of their own personal histories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I, it was nice hearing you, hearing you talk about that, though. Um, so is the um, is the album still in the charts right now? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. It's on two different charts. It's it's dropped. It's dropped considerably. I mean, for five or six weeks, uh, the album was in the top five um, of the jazz programmers list. They're called Jazz Week uh, listings. 
it was up there very high for five or six weeks. It's now lower than that. I mean, it worked its way up there in a couple of weeks quickly, and now it's dropped down a bit. It's also on the uh, college music um, listings, uh, and it stayed, I think it's this week it's at 39, but it's been on both of the lists for a full three months now, for a full 12 weeks. So we're we're delighted with that. You know that means that jazz DJs worldwide. I'm, what this what this indicates is that da- jazz DJs have played the album a lot. Uh, it's gotten a lot of spins. You know, so uh, in in the many many hundreds of spins at this point. Um, so it's done beautifully that way, and that's deeply encouraging because that means. I mean, it's kind of, you know, to me, that's a sign that my own original understanding of this, that I was picking great players with major reputations, well, that proved out very quickly because within three weeks it was in the top five of both of those polls, you know. So that's been great. Great. And more recently, um, I'd like to congratulate you on the review from Downbeat Magazine. I heard they gave you four and a half stars, or the project four they and a half stars. They did. That was that was a, a big thrill. Also, I began reading Downbeat when I was a kid in my teens out in California, and uh, to see the review come back with four and a half stars on on a uh, on a scale of five um, was further confirmation that these are great players. That these are players that. Um, People with a lot more seasoned ears than I've got. I mean, I make no particular apologies for my for, for how much I've listened to because I've listened a lot over decades. But the people who are in the business, I mean, the people who who cover jazz for a living, they they've heard a lot more than I have. So to get a four and a half star review from Downbeat and to see the thing go up on the airplay charts immediately was. Uh, kind of electrifying, if I can if I can say it that way. It was a, a real thrill uh, to see that kind of confirmation coming back from a, a magazine like Downbeat. Downbeat is the publication with the biggest clout and the largest reach internationally of any jazz publication in the world. So that was a big deal for us. Dave Dave was particularly excited about it. Uh, I mean, he was jumping up and down on emails that he sent out immediately when the news came that the review was going to be four and a half stars. So I'm very happy for both of those guys. I think they deserve that kind of a response. And uh, it's a delight, of course, in the in the particular context of having produced the album, uh, having been the executive producer of the album, to get that kind of a response from that kind of a journal. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So, what, so what's next for you, Dr. Simpson? What's the next big thing? <laughs> well, uh, that's a great question, and I have an answer for you. It's a, it's at this point, it's like a smorgasbord. I've got, I have an album with Dave Stryker on his own, an album with Steve Slagle on his own. These are all on the table. These are all commitments that I've made. Album with Dave, album with Steve, then a third album where they come back together and do another Stryker Slagle album. I've also just yesterday committed to an album with Gerald Cannon, the bass player on Roots, who is a great player who for the last three years has been the music director for McCoy Tyner, who is one of the great figures in the history of jazz. McCoy was the pianist in the John Coltrane Quartet in the early 60s, one of the greatest bands in the history of jazz. Some people will tell you it's the greatest band in the history of jazz. 
and uh, McCoy, uh, Gerald has worked with McCoy for the last three years. Steve Slagle is going to be doing some reco- uh, some playing, some gigging with McCoy and Gerald. So Gerald asked me three months ago if um, uh, if I would be willing to produce an album of his, and I told him that I was kind of committed and didn't really see a way I could do it and wouldn't know an answer until 2017. And then yesterday, all of and I told him that another couple of times across the last three months. And then suddenly yesterday, I, I heard my instincts talking to me loudly saying, why on earth can't you do this album with Gerald? You know, what does this mean? You're not going to be able to get, you're going to have to get a Whopper Jr. instead of a Whopper at Burger King? I mean, what does this mean? And so finally I, I called him up yesterday morning and I said, Gerald, I'm changing my answer from a three uh, a, a two-letter answer to a three-letter answer. He knew what I meant. He said, I was changing my answer from no to yes. And he was thrilled about it, and I'm thrilled about it. Cause he's a wonderful person. And he not only is a great bass player, he's the guy that did the the painting that they took the cover of Roots from. You know, so there's a deep connection with Gerald at this point. And he's a wonderful person and a wonderful player. And I'm just thrilled to the bottom of my, you know, to, to my roots, to my roots <laughs> about that. I've got <laughs> another album that I'm going to contribute partially to. Dave's uh, great young organist, Jared Gold, is going to do an album with... Uh, uh, Dave and, and McClenty Hunter, and I will be contributing to the production costs on that one. Um, and then there is, oh, then there are two other albums going with Tom Rizzo. One is almost completed, a tentet out of L.A., and then I also committed to a quartet album. When I heard the rhythm section on this tentet album, I said immediately to Tom, I mean within seconds practically, I said, Tom, this quartet's got to record on its own. And Rizzo is a dear friend of mine from 1970 forward, and that to me is a huge thrill also because Tom started as a student guitarist at St. Bonaventure. I mean, he he came to Bonnet in 1968 from Buffalo, and a friend of mine who was already teaching at Bonaventure, I started in 1970, two years after Tom got here, and a guy that I knew from Kent State, where I went to graduate school, had been hired in 1969 in the English department. And he said, you're going to get up here and you're going to hear a guitar player from Buffalo who is a killer player. And I got to St. Bonaventure in 1970 and met Tom Rizzo and heard him play. And I went back to my friend and I said, you said there was a killer guitar player at St. Bonaventure. You were right. He is exactly that. And Tom's done nothing but get better. I mean, by 1977, he was playing with Maynard Ferguson. By 1980, he was in L.A. and playing with the Tonight Show band that was led at that time by Doc Severinsen. And Tom has been playing in the L.A. studios ever since. He is a fixture on the L.A. jazz and studio scene. Uh, Studio these days means recording film soundtracks. And so uh, he's a player in high demand out there. And I think he's one of the great guitar players on the planet. So here all of a sudden, out of the blue, Rick Simpson is working with Dave Stryker and Tom Rizzo, I think two of the really wonderful guitar players on the planet. By the way, let me just say that there's a magazine called Jazz Ed, uh, like J, uh, block capitals J-A-Z-Z, then two small letters E-D, all one word. And it's a magazine named Worldwide Jazz Educators, and they run a poll 
they run a reader's poll in that magazine on the various instruments, and they name three players on each instrument. Well, the poll results came out for 2015 on guitar. Number one was Pat Metheny. Number two was John Schofield. Number three was Dave Stryker. How about that, huh? You know, wow. this is Matheny, Schofield, Stryker. Yeah. Yeah, how about that, huh? I mean, that gives you an idea of what kind of a player Dave Stryker is. And I think Tom, when he's on his game, is every bit of capable of staying on the stand with a guy like Dave, you know. So this is a big thrill for me. I mean, these are wonderful musicians. Uh, Tom's rhythm section, uh, the bass player, the acoustic bass player, the acoustic pianist, and the drummer are tremendous players out there. They're going to be on both of the albums. Uh, the drummer, Steve Schaefer, is not a young man anymore. Steve is a little bit younger than I am, but Steve Schaefer has been on more than a 1,000 soundtracks for films. I mean, that's, that's who these guys are. They're great, great players from two of the toughest musical you know, two of the two most competitive cities in the world musically, New York City and L.A., and these guys are at the very top of those two worlds in New York and L.A., so it's a real thrill for me. It's really fun. Really, you know? it sounds like you've got a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon. Yep. De- definitely not a bad smorgasbord to have. No, it's not. Um, so I've got one more question for you, Dr. Simpson, absolutely, before we please. Yeah. down. Do you think you could talk a little bit about the correlation between jazz and poetry? Sure. That's a great question, too. Um, the deepest correlation is that both of them involve sound and rhythm at at profound levels. I mean, I'm, that's so obvious in a way that it almost doesn't even need to be said, but it's also so obvious that it does need to be said, you know, that sound and rhythm and the colorations of sound and rhythm are right at the core of both enterprises. Uh, Poetry doesn't use notated music as such, but it certainly does use the music of the way words interact with each other, and that music in words is simply a matter of words being composed of consonants and vowels, and then you either change those consonant and vowel sounds or you repeat them. And that's how everyday language works, and that's how poetry works, except poetry uses it, uses it in a much more distilled and intense way. You've probably heard me say, Owen, in class, I mean, one of my favorite ways of talking about this is that if good prose is good beer, good poetry is good gin. You know, I'm so much more heavily distilled, much more heavily intense. Um, and then, you know, right at the middle of both, forms of art, jazz and poetry, is what you could call the singing voice, you know. Um, Instrumentalists or vocalists in jazz are singing. Um, Poets and poetry has been called song, and poets have been called singers since the Greeks, you know, going centuries and centuries, millennia, going back millennia, poetry has been called song, and poets have been called singers so this all boils down to what you could you could you could call music in both cases jazz is music poetry's music um a lot of differences of course there are some huge differences uh the the essential one the obvious one is that poetry uses words and jazz except with song lyrics doesn't um you know there's not a single word on the album roots you know it's all instrumental but um and that's a huge difference. 
I mean, I don't mean to to minimize that difference. It's a massive difference. But um, that difference kind of falls away in the light of the fact that poetry is so musical by its nature. And one great way to experience the music of poetry is to hear great poetry spoken beautifully in a language that you don't understand, like German or Italian or Chinese or Japanese, and you can hear the music even if you don't understand the words. Yeah. So there are really deep connections there that I love uh, because it meant that when I was teaching poetry at Bonaventure, the writing or the reading of poetry, which is right at the very center of my work as a, as a teacher, I was very close to jazz, and when I'm doing jazz, I'm very close to poetry, and that's, that feels wonderful on a given day, <laughs> the way it feels right now to talk about it, you know? feels good to hear you talk about it. Great. I'm sure we could talk about it for hours, but I think our time is coming down. I think we've got a few more minutes. But um, I'd like okay. to thank Dr. Simpson again for getting on this podcast and talking about the album Roots. I'd like to thank the listeners, anyone out there. Um, you can check the Tap into Greater Olean website and social media accounts to learn when the next podcast is. And once again, Dr. Simpson, thank you again so much for speaking about this today. Oh, and thank you for asking. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. Now take care. Take care. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.